I invite you all to stand as I read the word. Thank you. Our reading this morning comes from 1 Peter um, chapter 1, verse 22 to uh, chapter 2, verse 3. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Um, at this time, our Redemption youth, our Redemption middle schoolers are able to be dismissed uh, to go with uh, Mr. Minami for a class on what worship is and why we do what we do. So please, for those who would like to attend, you can. Awesome. And uh, let's pray. Father, we ask that you would open our eyes to understand your word this morning. Uh, Give us ears to hear it. Help us, Father, to delight and to taste and see that you are, in in fact, good. You are the the source of all good. You are goodness, truth, and beauty. So I pray that you would help us, Father, to adorn you, uh, rightfully so, that we would understand who you are and who we are. And that that would change us. So we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So have you ever heard the phrase, you are what you eat? Right? That's a pretty colloquial phrase. Everyone's heard that before. You are what you eat. Well, that phrase is also true. Um, so according to scientific research and a bunch of news outlets, and uh, we are, in fact, what we eat. So NBC News reported, Just as our homes are made from lumber without looking like trees, our bodies are made from the nutrients we extract from foods without resembling those foods. The nutritional content of what we eat determines the composition of our cell membranes, bone marrow, blood, and hormones. Our bodies are literally manufactured out of the food we consume. So that's why I'm looking like an Oreo today. I've been having some Oreos lately, so it's a joke. Come on, no. Um, But we are what we eat. And uh, chronic disease can be reduced by 80% solely on the basis of what we're putting into our bodies. So diet and exercise can basically function and operate better than a quick pill at uh, reducing chronic disease. And so as it's, as it's true, right, it's a true statement that we are what we eat physically. It's also true that we are what we eat spiritually. And so this morning I wanted us to focus on just two things, to uh, really ask two probing questions. First of all, who do you love? That's the first question. And the second question is, what do you eat? So who do you love and what do you eat? Two things this morning. Who do you love? The very name of Christian literally means little Christ. Little Christ. 
If we're to be little Christs in the world, then we're to follow Jesus where he went and go where he has gone and do what he did. So Jesus, as we've been learning in the Gospel of Mark, um, we're in 1 Peter now, but in the Gospel of Mark, we, we've been seeing over and over again that, that Jesus loved the least, and he went after and pursued the lost. And so he, he, he loved the sick, the poor, the needy, the broken, the hungry, the prostituting, the non-religious, the demon-possessed. Do you love those whom Jesus loved? Verse 22 says this, Have, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. I mean, I, we notice that purity and obedience happen not off by ourselves, but in community, in the, in the presence of, of, an, of others. That's where it happens. And so maybe to put it differently, differently just as faith in Christ is extrospective, right? It, we look outside of ourselves to faith in Christ that's rooted. So also, the Christian life is extroverted, meaning that we, we can't just be closed off, but we, we are dependent on one another, that we are, we are better together, that we, we need each other in order to know ourselves and to know who God is. In fact, what we learn here in 1 Peter is that our love for one another is a sign that we believe the gospel. And on, on the flip side, if we do not love our brother or sister, then it's telling us that we don't really believe the gospel, that we have unbelief still somewhere in our hearts. So do you love other people? It's an honest question. Do you love other people? It's a soul-searching question. Do you genuinely, sincerely, purely, as Peter puts it, purely love everyone around you? I want you to do something right now. I want you to look to the person sitting next to you or behind you, if no one's sitting next to you. Um, and so look at that person and, and turn to them and say this. Say, I love you, brother, or I love you, sister. That's easy if it's your like, wife or something, but maybe don't look at your spouse. Awesome. So actually, there's a lot of love in this room, okay? I feel the love. Nobody said it to me yet. Come on. Okay. Feeling, feeling a little hurt right now. But uh, did you when, you, when you said those words, did you genuinely, sincerely, purely mean it with all your heart? Love one another. Sincere brotherly affection and sisterly love. Do you have that for everyone here? I mean, starting here. Do you have that love? Is it genuine? I've heard genuineness springing up, so that's awesome. But do you have that love? Do you have that love for other churches and Christians you meet from around the world? Um, so that's not a trick question. Uh, this, this kind of love should naturally right, spring forth from us, come out of us, um, because we are what we eat um, if, if we are, in fact, Christians. And so let's look at, look at verse 23 with me. It tells us the why here. Verse 23. Since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. Verse 24. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. So, if you're really into the Bible, you might have already thought of this, but uh, as we're going through 
the Gospel of Mark, it's really cool that there's this parallel. Uh, here, Peter is kind of casting us back to what Mark was, what he taught in, in Mark chapter 4 about the, scat, the parable of the scattered seed. Anybody heard that parable before? Uh, we're going to get into that in our Gospel of Mark series, but Jesus says the seed is the word. Some receive it, others don't. But for those who have received this seed, it is imperishable. It is invincible. It will never perish because God's word is living and abiding. And so it doesn't wither like grass. It never falls into dust like flowers. It doesn't fall like kingdoms and countries. Verse 25, but the word of the Lord remains forever. We also learn that uh, the brevity of life, that human life is very brief. It's short. It can be snuffed out quickly. Um, I'm only in my 30s, and I'm already, you know, I, I, I look forward to going to the chiropractor. That's pretty bad, right? That's, that's sad. Um, you know, you're getting all creaky bones and all that, right? So you need to be straightened out. Um, life is brief, but our love for others should be abiding because of this imperishable seed that has changed us. Peter makes it even more clear in verse 25. He says how this is all possible. Look with me there. Verse 25, the second part. He says, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. Say that again. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. The specific word that Peter has in mind here is not just any word, right? Not just the word like the Bible. It's the good news. We talk a lot about the good news at this church. Every week we're trying to preach the good news. Every week. The good news is, is that good announcement, as we recently heard in a, in a sermon. Um, that, meaning that the good news about what Jesus has done for us in his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and everything that he did for us, that is the good news. It's not good advice. It's not advice that's like, hey, I'm just trying to fix you. Um, it's, it's good news. It's an announcement. He has done it. It is finished. It's good news. Um, tells us about what Jesus has done for us, that he's done what we couldn't do for ourselves, that, that he lived the life, I love how one pastor put it, he lived the life I should have lived and died the death I should have died. Right? In our place. So that we could be part of this imperishable seed. And uh, notice how, how closely tied together, how connected verses 23 and 25 are. So central to Peter, that we have been born, born again through what? Exactly. He says the living and abiding word of God, yeah, but, but then he turns it specific, right? He zeroes in, not just on the Bible generally, but on the gospel specifically. Uh, theologians have often distinguished between two parts of the word of God. And they are this, they're the law and their gospel. Now the law says do this. The gospel says it is done already. The law says you must do. You must obey. Right? You must contribute something. The gospel says you need not because Jesus already has. Do you hear the difference in that? Do versus done? It's very different. So we don't arrive at, at community even or at a, at a pure, sincere, genuine love for each other by just focusing on loving each other. We're just focusing on having community. We can't make it happen through 
events or our own efforts. Instead, community is born, Peter says. It's born by the preaching of the gospel, by that proclamation, that good announcement. Community springs forth into existence, like God spoke the world into existence. Where the gospel is preached, there's community. And so the good news makes us Christians. So, so a question, do you believe the good news that makes you a Christian, that is being preached to you? Is the gospel something that you look forward to hearing? Is the gospel something that you look forward to sharing with other people? If you do, then you're a person who is of, of imperishable seed, and the love that Peter talks about comes out of you naturally. It's like you bleed the gospel. If you get cut, you bleed the gospel. Authentic love can spring from you because Jesus has loved you. And so you show love to your brother and your sister. Um, If this is your first time visiting Redemption Church, maybe it's your first time to church ever or back to church in a very long while, I hope that you can see the love that we have for one another. I mean, even, even when asking, hey, say I love you to, to each other, you know, all the giggles in the room. I hope that, that, that um, it, it's so evident, it's so clear that this is a church that loves each other, that's there for each other. Because Christians love each other because Christ loved us so much, much that he gave himself for us. So if you want to experience unconditional, never giving up, never ending love, uh, you're in the right place, <laughs> right? The church is the only place on this earth where, where true love and genuine affection and brotherly and sisterly love and forgiveness can be rightly extended because we have the gospel, the gospel of hope. So I pray you find that message here today. Let's, let's think about the, the second question. So, so we looked at who do you love, and now this question, what do you eat? What do you eat? Uh, it sounds silly to say it, right? You are what you eat. It just sounds kind of weird. Um, but what do you eat? What do you put into your soul every day? What is breathing life or death into your soul every day? What goes in must come out. First Peter 2 says, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. And those are all things that I think are so common among us, right? I mean, maybe not today on Sunday because we're in our our Sunday apparel, you know, or or we put on our Sunday face. But as soon as Monday hits, you know, and we hit the ground running, all of a sudden that malice and that deceit and that hypocrisy and all that other stuff starts, well, it becomes a real possibility again. Peter says none of these things should be found among the sons and daughters of the Father. Instead of chasing after power or status or wealth or fame, we're to crave pure spiritual milk. Verse 2. Like newborn infants, he says, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. So the question is, you know, do we, do we hunger? Like, do we thirst? to have God's word, to hear the gospel read in our homes and on our drives, on our, on our commutes, um, while we're cooking or cleaning or working out or whatever it is that we find ourselves doing. Do we try to find ways to hear God's word? 
Do you crave it like a newborn? Think of, I mean, that image is so, wow. I mean, some of you are in that phase or just have recently come out of that phase of, of having that newborn, you know, and all the feeding times, oh, man. I mean, come on, think back to how often those feeding times were, right? All through the day, all through the night. Do we crave God's word in that way? Do we go, wah, wah, I want milk, right? Do we wah for God's word? It's, it sounds silly, but that's, that's what Peter's saying here. Do we wah for God's, God's word? Do we want it? Uh, it's a great lit- this is a great litmus test to see if we're believing presently. Verse 3 tells it like it is. It says, it's a hard word, but he says this. He says, if indeed you've tasted and seen, or you've tasted that the Lord is good. Going back to this, this idea of taste and of eating, right? Peter's quoting from the Old Testament in, in Psalm chapter 34. You can write that down. Psalm 34, verse 8. Look back later. Read the, read the whole psalm. But it says... Taste and see that the Lord is good. We often hear that uh, during the Lord's Supper. Usually say at the very end, taste and see that the Lord is good, right? And that word good, the word good, uh, sometimes is used to mean delicious. When applied to foods like milk. And so taste and see that the word is delicious. The gospel's delicious. It tastes so good, right? When you hear the gospel, do you think that the, the gospel is delicious? Does it bring delight to you? Like your taste buds when you're having some fantastic pizza, like from Costco, you know. We're about to have some Costco pizza outside. But, uh, it, you know, when you, when you have some good pizza, is it delicious? Is the gospel delicious in that way? We must come to God as he's clothed in the gospel, So put aside malice and deceit, hypocrisy, and put on or put within you. Drink up and taste the gospel constantly. That's the only way to holiness here. That's the path to becoming more like Jesus. So is it delicious? Do you find it delightful? I want to say this, that it's very typical for Christians and for churches, church groups and such, To offer good advice to other people, but rarely ever offer up the good news when going through hard times or crisis. That's, that's often what happens. What's rare to hear is, is people offering the good news instead of good advice. For example, if somebody comes to you with a relationship issue, are you immediately jumping to fix the person's issue? Or... Do you try to point them to good news? Do you try to preach to them the gospel as you're listening? I think one of my hopes as pastor of Redemption, uh, one of my my hopes and dreams and ambitions for the church is, is, and it's happening, I hear it happening, but I want it to happen a lot. So much so that the very DNA of our church is just changed completely. But uh, I want to hear stories about how people in our church readily give the gospel to each other, readily offer up Jesus. So when we sin or or we're sinned against, instead of the bickering and the malice and the deceit and the slandering that happens so naturally to our stubborn, sinful hearts, um, instead of all that, right, what happens in this church is, is completely different. Instead, it's we hear stories of, hey, it's not a big deal. 
it is finished, brother. I forgive you. Or the pressure's off, sister. It's finished. Or you don't have to prove yourself, man. Jesus did it for you. I mean, just to, to start casually having ways that we start sharing the gospel to each other, saying, hey, man, you're forgiven. God forgives and I forgive. <laughs> you know, I mean, I mean th- those kinds of phrases should start to permeate how we talk to each other and take place of the list-making and rule-following that, that we often hear, that, that words of absolution, of forgiveness, would be present among us. What are some of the ways that we can speak the gospel into each other's lives? Community groups, you'll be discussing that this week. Um, I hope, hope you will, will pause on that and really sit on it. Another example in place of our slander, say that you've been bad-mouthing somebody else or others. You've just been frustrated, and so slander is coming out of your lips. Well, we can put aside slander, and we can put on the fact that Jesus was given the worst reputation imaginable for us. He took our sin upon himself. He was slandered, counted as a trespasser, as a lawbreaker for us, so that we would be without blemish. Spotless, actually, is how the scriptures tell it. So we'd put on the best reputation possible, wearing the righteous reputation of Jesus instead of our own filthy rags. That's how the gospel undoes every sin, of malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and strife and whatever else. So how hungry are you for gospel talk? Are you hungry? Is the gospel delicious? I'll, uh, I'll confess, there's a quite a few days where I don't think the gospel's delicious. And I need reminding, just like everybody here needs reminding. Um, and I'm thankful that I have brothers, um, one that I meet with every week who, who always points me back to the gospel. I'm very, very grateful for you, brother. Thank you. Um, but we need that in each other's lives. And so, notice how Peter says community is created by the gospel and that even how we grow in the Christian life is also sustained by the gospel. So we grow by the milk of the word, verse 2. Pure spiritual milk, pure gospel is how we're made and how we're sustained. The gospel creates and sustains us. So I want to read from an article entitled The Centrality of the Gospel. I'll, I'll leave the author anonymous because I quote him too much. But some of you might know who it is. Um, so I'm going to read this to you. He says, we never get beyond the gospel in our Christian life to something more advanced. The gospel is not the first step in a stairway of truths. Rather, it's more like the hub in a wheel of truth. The gospel is not just the ABCs, but the A through Z of Christianity. The gospel is not just the minimum required doctrine necessary to enter the kingdom, but the way we make progress in the kingdom. We're not justified by the gospel and then sanctified by obedience, but the gospel is the way we grow, Galatians 3, and are renewed, Colossians 1. It's the solution to each problem, the key to each closed door, the power through every barrier, Romans 1, 16 and 17. It's, the very, it's, it's very common in the church to think as follows. The gospel is for non-Christians. One needs it to be saved. But once saved, you grow through the hard work and obedience, But Colossians 1.6 shows us that's a mistake. 
both confession and hard work that's not arising from and in line with the gospel will not sanctify you. It will strangle you. All our problems come from a failure to apply the gospel. Boom. Just knocked it out of the park. That's exactly what this author is getting at is unbelief's our greatest problem. Unbelief, that we do not believe the gospel, is our greatest problem. We don't believe that God is, um, some of you are reading Everyday Church, we don't believe that God is great, glorious, good, and gracious, and so what do we do? We worry, and we start to fear, and we start to find a replacement for God, right, in idolatry, we look elsewhere, and then, or we try to prove ourselves. Look at my best, God, I did this. And what we need more than anything is the gospel to be applied to our everyday life. So will you take the gospel that you've heard, that Jesus has done it? Will you take that gospel, that Jesus has done it for you, will you apply that to everyday life? Will you start to see, will you start to have more conversations with your brothers and sisters here and with your neighbors? Having gospel talk. Will that start to happen in our midst? where we're sharing the gospel, where it's not just something that happens on Sunday morning, but it's happening every day of the week, encouraging each other as long as we call it today. Only the gospel is the power of God and the salvation for all who believe. So who do you love and what are you eating? What have you been putting into your spiritual bodies lately? Is it the hope of the gospel? Do you share the gospel with others? Why not? Start today. Practice sharing. Forgive each other. Love one another as God in Christ has so deeply and affectionately and sincerely loved you by sending Jesus to die for you and to live for you and to rise for you. Let that hope fuel you and fill you every day.